Welcome back to Many Windows, the podcast about education for anyone who might be interested in education. My name is John Cassie, and I'm joined as always by my dear friend and co-host. Jennifer McGlemory. Hello, everybody. Hello, Jennifer. How, are, how was your week, John? Oh, my word. <laughs> I can't good. even. I would, need a whole other, I would need a whole other episode to unpack it. It's been, look, it's not bad. It's just like we've been saying all throughout this se- uh, series, every day is three new things that I would never have anticipated in a career to be looking at. And, and so that makes it both interesting and exhausting, right? Yeah. What about yeah, you? That's what I keep saying is that every day I just have to think, how do I do my job today? Because right. it's so different from what I would normally be doing at this time. Now, you know, at my school, we are now in week five. Right. You, where are you guys at, John? This is week, week four. Okay, you're not far in, behind us. Right, okay. not far behind you. Um, our lower school has been live for almost the entire time. And our middle and upper school will go back to live next week. So when you say live, do you mean in person? In person. Because yep. yep. you're in Orange County. So your Correct. restrictions are much less than, than Los Angeles County. Right. Los Angeles County is at a higher mm-hmm. state control level uh, right. than Orange County is. And so we're in the level where you can reopen provided you have a reopening plan that makes sense and blah, 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 hmm. which we've been working on for months. So, so we'll see. Good. Uh, but yeah, so Jennifer, we're talking about how different the world is. And that's what we've been talking about with all of our, our guests and what we'll be talking about with our guests today as well. But why are we doing this series? So we're really just trying to take a snapshot of where people are at in their different roles, uh, in their life with COVID, um, trying to learn some lessons from this and capture this moment in time so that hopefully we can go back and remember some of the positive things that we learned and um, find the silver lining in this. So we've had a teacher, we've had a head of school, we had a student last week, a librarian, and as promised, I think that we have a parent today who is a little bit more than that. John, she's your guest today. Will you introduce her for us? Absolutely. I am over the moon excited to have another very dear friend who I've known for coming up on 30 years now, Dr. Leanne Craig, Associate Professor of History at Virginia Commonwealth University uh, and and Director of Undergraduate Studies in History at VCU. And now that gives her a whole host of unique perspectives that we ought to have you back on to talk about. (laughs) But for today's purpose, you're the mom of a junior in high school. I am. And a junior in college. Correct. And so we want to unpack your experience of being a parent. And because you have an educator hat you can put on as well, I'm sure that will will, will merge into this. Leanne Craig, welcome to Many Windows. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. So what are some of the kind of salient experiences you're having as a parent? Maybe start with the older student, okay? 
that that sure. is a, about sort of parenting a, an adult child theoretically right. going to college but where is your eldest attending college my eldest is attending college from the corner of our uh, fam office downstairs. Right. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, because she's going to a small lib in the Northeast. Um, and uh, the vast majority of those, those schools uh, shut their doors, uh, shut their campuses down, save for students who were otherwise unhoused. Um, international students and, and, right. and that sort of situation. And uh, so they sent her home in March. Um, she has been home since. She's now uh, almost halfway through uh, her fall semester, um, wow. creeping up on it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, learning entirely from home. So that's been interesting. Um, she's definitely plenty adult. I mean, this is, is a whole adult learner. Right. She's 21. She took a gap year before she started college, so had significant independent life experience developed mm. before she started school, um, and is one of these kids that's just 100% all go. Um, irritated when her classes don't have enough of a final project for her to sink her teeth into. That's her nature. So um, I've been doing a lot of, um, well, two things. First of all, because of my unique perspective behind the scenes mm -hmm. interpretation for her. Um, and this ranges everything from something being said on Zoom and she didn't know how to take what her professor intended and was this some coded message that something was a problem or, and I'm like, honey, no, professors are all running around with their hair on fire right now. This is not about you, you know. <laughs> There's a lot of that coaching going on. Yeah. Um, and spending a lot of time processing with her where the silver learnings are, linings are, where the professionalization are. Uh, she continues to build her education toward her professional goals in a way that gets the most out of it, you know? And we, we've talked a lot about that um, before she started school. And now it's, okay, how do we take this sort of world turned upside down and make a um so there's been a lot of discussion with her yeah yeah um and it's it's a different experience for your high school student similar very different okay. for my high school student um my eldest is a an outcomes oriented introvert she's um very close to a small group of people she's missing her sports team for example she's a fencer um but where it comes to her classroom work, she's all about what is this for? What are the goals? She's kind of very pragmatic. My youngest is my social butterfly. Ah. She's my theater kid. She's my thing. She fills up her by being with her much more. She's also a teacher herself. Mike came up through a community taekwondo school that is real serious about putting kids in um, roles of continuing responsibility. And both of them began teaching their own classrooms at 12. Um, oh, wow. My number two is the one who wants to, yeah. My number two is the one who wants to be a school librarian and is an absolute unbelievable Pied Piper with children. Huh. And 
she doesn't have any kids to teach now, yeah. you know, and she's just dying. I mean, I'm sure you must have peers who are like this, that are just like, oh, put me in the room with my kids, you know, yep. Um, yep. she's really something with that. Um, she is very responsible. She's very organized for a 16 year old. I'm fortunate. She's the one who had reasonably early return of that loss of executive function that's so common for teens. Right. Um, so she's managing that side of it fine. She's just starving for people. And I think that's been hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how are you, or what sort of advice would you give to parents for highly oh. social kids to, to, find, to find a path, to find a, a strategy that works. You know, highly social is one piece of the puzzle. Right. I feel really fortunate that she's not just highly social. She's also, um, she's also my old soul who could hang with adults comfortably by the time she was 10. Right. And so we as a family have family social stuff happening that are just the four of us, but that we're all using as a touchstone and we actually enjoy each other's company. You know, a lot of 16 year olds are still at a phase where they're like, get away from me. I don't want to talk to you. You're a grown person and you're horrible. Right. Um, she's, you know, and that's, that's normative. Um, Sophia's so socially facile that that's not a challenge for her. So, you Got know, it. the fact that we sit down and we're watching Star Trek every night as a family because they hadn't seen Next Gen and I'm not going to let them watch Picard without the backstory. Right. Um, that's been helpful. I've also, because she's in an I am familiar with a fair substantial number of volunteer hours of the students every year. Um, and she can't be teaching in the dojang right now. So I grew up with some young children that are friends, uh, friends of the family. Um, she's thrilled about it. She's really excited about it. So that's been there. And it's funny because I'll watch her come off of having worked with her tutoring kids with her wheels ticking about what am I going to do with them? What do they need? And she's just all lit up. You know, and that's the kid that I remember. So yeah. I think the options are there. I just think it has to suit their particular needs. And, and you have to start with who they are. You know, it's not just they do they need people, but how do they like to need people? You mm -hmm. know, and I think that's kind of where you have to start, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Any goals. <laughs> Jennifer, are you finding in your, with your students, because they're younger still, that the ones you're interacting with, are, are having that the social is is an issue or that the parents who are talking to you are saying you know that, that that's the angle that's giving them difficulty what's well, your I had, I had two experiences myself this week one was I've started a group of eighth grade mentors they actually a couple of kids came to me and wanted to mentor sixth graders in this distance learning time. So I set them up as a group and then we recruited some other mentors for our group. And then one of the students said, so I set up a Google classroom and I had them all join and we did a, a Zoom meeting. And one of them said, we should use, I said, how are we going to communicate with one another? And she says, well, we should use the band app. And I said, well, I've heard of that, but... I don't know that I've ever used it. Well, you know, 
30 seconds later, she says, okay, I've got us all set up on the Bend app and, you know, everybody just put in your chat, your email or your cell phone number. Okay, we're all on the Band app. Okay, great. So it turns out it's this great communication tool, particularly for teachers who teach younger kids, right? Because it's the equivalent of texting without you giving your cell phone number to a a student and them giving you their cell phone number. So it just is that one layer in Mm -hmm. between. So I can private message them and they can private message me. But then there's also, I found out, this group chat function. Because the other day, my Apple Watch is just you know, buzzing, blowing up, like my arms being electrocuted all afternoon. And I'm like, what is going on? And they're all chatting with one another uh-huh. all afternoon because their schoolwork is done by yeah. 1220, right? Right. I'm like, and it's just inane babble, but it is just what middle schoolers talk about. You know, this, someone made a joke about a McDonald's cult. So now every word that they say has an MC at the front and it's just going on. And, but I stepped back for a minute and it was so interesting to be able to look in on this because, you know, what adult usually gets to look in on this. Right. Yeah. And my, my, my youngest has been on three long running group chats for a long time with some theater kids that she works with over the summer, one with her best at school and a third with folks we camp with. Um, And those are a lifeline at all times, you know, and have been since the beginning of the crisis. Um, They also started Google meeting before classes begin because they had a routine in meet space classes where they would um, come together in the morning before classes began, usually in the library for a good half hour. So they started hanging out by Google chat before classes begin. So I got a bunch of teenagers willing to get up for an 8 a.m. chit chat, right? Right. Um, So, I mean, they are working hard and I'm seeing them use tools like Slack and Discord and Google Meet and all of this to to keep the communications going. Um, But I think, you know, again, it's a question of what they most need. For Sophia, part of it too is that sense that she's missing giving back. She's missing leading a little bit. Right. Um, and so the tutoring has been a big help there. Yeah. It, it provides a little structure, a sense of purpose of doing something of, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, certainly many, I mean, I teach entrepreneurship. So the mm-hmm. students that I'm teaching, they feel like they're, to your point, somewhat disconnected from from networks of mm-hmm. people that they might learn from outside of school and yes. where they might engage skills that they're trying to develop right because you know certainly in a high school entrepreneurship is one of the more outwardly facing kinds of electives right mm-hmm. um and so I've yeah. been struggling a little bit with that. I mean, and, and frankly, some of it has been supporting parents who feel like I want to move mountains for my, for my kid, but they don't, they feel disempowered, right? Oh, as, yeah. as well, like I, I don't, I'm having a hard time navigating my own life. Well, and I mean, just but, as, you know, Jennifer, you said, how do I job today? Right. Right. Um, My daughters have reinvented their educations. I've been reinventing education for my students. My husband is in social services and he's reinvented an entire social service agency in a corner of our bedroom while I'm doing the same thing in the in in the spare room, you know, 
And um, so it is, it is sort of a, one of the baseline things that I think we share across professional worlds is the sense that what is my job today could be radically, radically new. Right. Um, and one of the things that I've been urging both of my girls is patience and a recognition that, you know, their instructors are in this situation. Um, their coaches are in this situation, their peers are in this situation that you've got to expect an extra two days on that email response or whatever it is, because everything is like this. Right. You know, something else came up this week for me that I want to mention. Um, one of my counselors recently lost her brother this summer. And so she's been going to a grief support group right that meets in like a zoom or and she just said to me she says it is not working for me Mm. to be you know it and there are some limitations there are some positive sides to these you know zoom and and google meetings and the meeting through a screen there's actually i've been surprised at how effective it actually can be but i think when Mm -hmm. you have a large you know even a group that's maybe five or six as a large group you know when you get to that number there's there's always this pause of okay well who's going to speak that when you're in a room together there isn't that same kind of i think we're just using nonverbal cues more efficiently and she said i had to go and connect with someone one-on-one so i had to go to a counselor and have a one-on-one session with them and i think that's really relevant yeah, at the risk of sounding a little bit, you know, like I'm leaning toward sort of spirituality, um, energy language is a really good way to talk about it. There is a sense that you just cannot get an energy pong going through a screen as well. Particularly, you're right, once you have a certain number involved. And it's exhausting. And every professor I know that's lecturing to a screen is saying that, um, that it is just exhausting. And my husband who, again, runs a social service agency and works directly in disability support and is running sessions with people, exhausted um, in a way that working with an actual human just just isn't, so. Mm -hmm. Right, in in many respects, it's 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 a totally opposite kind of energy valence, right? Working with working yeah. with people live, um, it can sometimes be hard, but it usually ends up with a net positive sort of energy flow. Whereas uh, with with Zoom, it's almost always you're you're paying, right? You're you're, you're sort of pouring it out into a blank space, right? right. Um, and and you know the interesting thing that I have seen is that my daughters feel the same way from the learner side. Yeah, that they too are. You know, like my youngest they're now on a schedule they've got it worked out their school has a block schedule and they're essentially meeting um on a zoom type platform for half of each class block and the back half is independent work that they're accountable for at the end so it's you know they got to be on it and so that means she's only zooming sort of half of what would be a normative school we have the transition or a number of other things that just sort of eat time in a school day they're not happening and yet she flops out of her room at the end of the day, just, oh, I am exhausted. And she immediately nope. took to taking a walk right mm-hmm. after school was done. Every day, mm-hmm. go out for a 15, 20 minute walk in the sun and just get some air. Um, because she said, I've just got to do something different and reset. And I thought that was really 
a healthy adaptation, um, but indicative of the, yeah, from a screen, we don't get that energy back. Yeah. You know, that, that has been advice that I've given to parents who've asked me my perspective on helping their kid manage being in this kind of an environment where I've said almost exactly what you said Sophia does. Like, you, you know, you get, you get overly focused on a screen that's 10, 10 inches away. You want to get outside so you can refocus your eyes on trees in the distance or, or, or anything in the distance. Right. Um, and, you know, get, get some, get some different air and what have you, you know, um, are you, Lee, are you, are you in, are you connected to any parent networks in your, uh, uh, in your daughter's uh, high school? To some degree. Yeah. Um, I have to admit that, you know, bad educator here, mostly I'm connected to parents who are also educators. <laughs> so, um, and I have a fair number of former students who are also educators in my district. So I'm getting this fantastically interesting echo chamber. You know, like, one of her besties is one of her bucks. Parents are both phys ed one of whom is at her school. Um, and right. another of her besties has a mom who's a teacher in our district, you know. So I'm getting a, a very intense echo chamber. Um, but I am hearing different things um, from yep. different parents. I've got apparently some kids out there who've just got the weepies a lot yep. as their energies rise and fall, unexpected weepies. Yep. Um, one of her friends is on the spectrum. Um, he has adapted pretty comfortably. He's very social, very connected to them. Um, and the first kid who's come through both IB and the autism program at the same time at his high school. Wow. Good um, he's a new kid. Yeah. Um, but he was really struggling without being near his people with that out of sight, out of mind sense of being abandoned. Uh -huh. Or maybe his friends didn't like him. He really struggled with that without the grounding of, of presence. Yeah. And um, they threw him uh, a surprise birthday Google Meet that was loud and long and noisy and absolutely hilarious. And uh, meanwhile, the moms are texting back and forth. Are you hearing this? You right. know, this is right. fantastic. You guys are the best kids. No, your kid is the best. You know, <laughs> it's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um. It um, your 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 mention of sort of unanticipated weepies, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that that every single uh, constituency that interacts with schools yeah. has found themselves in that place. I mean, certainly, uh, I I have found myself there personally, right? Uh, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, students, colleagues, oh, wow. yeah. um, fellow admin, uh, faculty. You know, and, and certainly parents who, who oftentimes just report like, I don't, I, I, I had a, I had a human being in my house a month ago and now I have this other thing in my kid's body yeah. and I don't know what is going yeah. on with this person who's in my house. Right. And then of course, add well, this and, COVID and dysregulation and then, you know. Well, and, and, you know, it's an age range thing to some degree. Little kids will weep at you and it's easier to read in a way because yeah. they tend to live a little more on the outside of their skin. But after they turn 12, yeah. you're dealing with a child that, you know, it's spin a wheel, get a mood anyway, right? That's just normal. Right. And um, 
And it's so hard to tell when you're in the midst of that, is what I'm looking at a normal developmental phase for a child in this age range? Right. Or is what I'm looking at an impending disaster that comes from this child having been cut off from everything familiar? Right. Um, it's really nerve wracking. Um, I've been fortunate in that. My yeah. youngest is a pretty steady soul, not really a pretty clear communicator. Um, she got really flat and blue this summer and I did worry, you know, um, try to keep her busy, try to, you know, throw stuff away. It's not the same as having people chattering with her and right. she's doing a little better since school started, yeah. but yeah, you worry a lot. Yeah. Well, I think that one thing we, we did a parent education night, mm-hmm. um, Wednesday night, and it was basically kind of on distance learning. We had a panel, we had a parent, a teacher, um, one of our tech support, it was kind of, it was for parents to ask questions and get support. And so many of the questions were, were not necessarily about the technical piece, but the routine and organization and setting that up because schools do this really well. Teachers yes. know that they need to create routines, set expectations, yeah. have, you know, have the organization done and then deliver to the students. And so uh, somebody said in it like, oh, well, you know, I've tried to do this for my child and, and they don't like it. And I realize that parents are yeah. not as used to that. And the reality is kids crave this. And that's one of the things they're missing at home is that sense of routine and, you know, having a schedule where they, it's predictable. And I think parents have got to do that for their kids at home. They do, um, but it's a complicated issue on a couple of levels. I mean, first of all, there's the question of whether the parents themselves have the skills or the executive function to do that. Um, (laughs) Or the, I mean, realistically, right? Uh, I I don't think too many people go into teaching because they have really poor executive function, right? (laughs) Most of them have excellent executive function. The ones who have really poor executive function end up professors. Um, (laughs) uh, I say, loving my colleagues all the way. I think that there's also the question of where the student expects to receive that guidance from and where they do not expect to receive it from. Um, and they expect it from teachers. That's part of their training of what it means to, to be engaged with education from the time they're in kindergarten or before. Um, but if it's not something they anticipate from their parents, they're much more apt to push back there because in the past that's worked. That's where the boundaries are set in that quarter. And so for their parents to step into that role may or may not go well, depending on the skills and frankly the will of the parent and the will of the child um, and which fights the parents are willing to fight on a given day, you know? And how Um, much energy they have in their tank for that fight. Or time if they're working from home, you know? Um, So my family culture is high executive function because I'm in charge of it and that's just who I am. You know, I'm a very type A, very organized person. Um, And my husband's a little bit more laid back, but he runs a social service agency and completely appreciates the necessity. Um, My God family, who are people I absolutely adore. My godchildren are, you know, I love them to pieces. Um, Two very laid back people with, you know, less intense executive function skills, um, who as a family have been through a certain amount of trauma because their youngest uh, had a liver transplant at a very young age and they had to deal with a whole lot. 
and uh that family is just less apt to be like you do it you do it now this is how it is you know and their kids of course are more apt to push boundaries because they always have you know um and and they have fights to fight about medication and you know bedtime and whatever that are very specific to their family situation they're not going to fight that same fight with that same energy about sit down in this chair for this next 30 minutes because your teacher's online um and so you know it's it's a very complex issue within families i'm really fortunate that my kid was 16 already at an age where they should be taking up you know responsibility um and that my own inclinations sort of leaned in that direction that, that lent itself to the, to the crisis. But there's other families who are wonderful families where no, those things are not in place. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, you know, your, your point about the young person draws boundaries to create the relationship they want with their parent yeah. on the basis of that is what my teacher does. Yes. That is not what you do. That is not what you okay. do. So that creates a disorientation in the child-parent relationship. Yes. The parent knows that they cannot do what the teacher does no. on all of these levels, right? I mean, as a principal, I, I, once a week, at least once a week, I would have a parent say to me, I realize that my kid is X. I simply couldn't do it, right? So please yeah. help me. Yeah. With, you know, <laughs> I realize that my child has come to school without any shoes on. I know this. I know this. I was going to have a complete mental shutdown if yeah. I didn't get this kid in the car. Yeah. So please help me. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so that is part, I think, of what, some parents are experiencing, right? Oh, great. Now I have to do a role that I never wanted to do. That's why we have schools in the first place. I don't feel like I'm any good at it. I'm oh, not by kid. the way, it makes everyone crazy. Yeah. And, and let me add, and I say this from the point of view of a particular school district, okay, and a particular way of engaging with it, um, that the push-pull from the parental point of view about how much the district really wants you involved right. is a whole other layer to this. Um, this was some years ago now, my, young, my eldest is 21, but when she started kindergarten at five, the principal got up in front of a, a multi-purpose room full of, of parents and said, we know what we're doing, you don't, so get out of our way. Almost in exactly those words. <laughs> you know, and I sat there thinking, oh, like hell. You know, my job is to be her advocate and I will be as needed, you know, and I was the sort of parent who basically didn't show up because I don't want to get in the way unless there's a problem, you know. Yeah. Um, but we get a lot of mixed messages there. You know, they want room moms. They want support. They say it's, you know, we need you backing us up from home. And you do. Absolutely. At the same time, don't tell me how to run my classroom. Don't tell me how to run my feedback to my students from their tests. Don't question me if I don't turn the grading around for eight weeks. Hmm. I'm going to question that. Um, And and so, you know, it's for teachers or for parents who are not also teachers, who are not also educators, um, that's very intimidating. You know, and they're living with all of those sort of mixed messages in the air and feeling overwhelmed from multiple other 
perspectives. And yes, throwing up your hands becomes the sort of logical conclusion right. when your child is like, I have some friends right now who are not educators. Um, their youngest spends most of his time on his Zoom calls and he's in fourth grade, um, belly down on his sitting stool, hanging upside down, staring at his knees. You know, and his mom comes through and says, are you paying attention? And his response is, why do you keep asking me that? <laughs> Which is <laughs> indicative of the whole situation. Right. But, you know, she does not feel like she can staple him sitting, you know, and that she's going to harass him constantly and it's going to get anywhere. Right. So it's it's complicated. Yeah. yeah. And in that very situation, I would absolutely say it is the teacher's role to mm. continue to nag that child. I say to my teachers, and we talk about this, like, if that was happening in your classroom, would you just let it go? Do you allow your kids to, you know, sit on their seat upside down and backwards? Or do yeah, you <laughs> saying to them, you need to sit up properly? And I, I go into a lot of my teachers' Google classrooms or my their Zoom meets, and I am here because we had a big push at the very beginning about Kids need to be have their cameras on and have their face showing from the chin to the top of their head. That is our school-wide expectation. As the principal, I went into every single classroom and made that clear along with some other things, but that is our expectation. And so the teachers feel empowered to then remind the kids and say, we're not going to go on until, you know, everybody, until I see everybody on camera and just like they would in the classroom. And mm -hmm. so I do feel that those things still fall under the purview of the teacher and they have to figure out a way. And yes, I mean, they're, if, if they're, we have middle schoolers, so of course they know how to game the system and like, oh, my, my technology's not working. It's glitching again, you know? And so then the, they'll email the parent, oh, are you, are, do you need a Chromebook from the school? And they're like, no, the camera works fine. They put a post-it over it. Like, thank you, parent. This is what I need your help with. But otherwise, yeah, well, you know, the teachers still need to be doing those things that they've always done. Right. But I do, I do have some empathy for teachers who in larger public schools are running a classroom of 30 this way. Oh, and, our class sizes are about 35. Right, right. And trying to keep students from staring at their knees or whatever else it is that they're, they're pulling in. And I had that child in third grade um, who so exhausted her instructor with her rich inner world, which was non-distracting to her neighbors, but was very distracting to her, that the instructor gave up. And just put her in the back row. So, you know, I, I appreciate that this is not always, there, there's not always a, an end point that works out the way you'd hope. Right. Um, but it does sort of leave us in this strange space as parents about the lines of responsibility. And, right. you know, and unfortunately, I think some of it is experimental because it's not just what is my responsibility, but it's also what can be my responsibility, what functionally works. Yeah. Um, and that's going to vary from child to child, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, J J Jennifer's point about having a having a parent ed evening to really talk about some of the nuts and bolts, right? The yeah. very technical parts of this, right? We've done very similar kinds of work at my school. And I think that it's an opportunity maybe to think about ways to refashion or re, um, reboot some aspects of the parent-school connection. Relationship, and, yes. Yeah, relationship, right? That... Uh, you know, in in my, I've been in the profession now 23 years, the parent 
teacher conversation when I started the career in 1997, it's very different than it is now. Um, yeah. And, and I think that there, there might be an opportunity to kind of reset or recalibrate. Um, and, and, you know, everyone's experiencing the crisis. Yeah. Right? Let's talk, let's share our stories about what we're struggling with so that we can, uh, you know, be more uh, uh, empathetic for what a student or what a, a teacher or parent is experiencing. More right. empathy would not, would not do us any harm. No, and one hopes for solution-oriented conversations there. Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, have real appreciation for teachers who've been in the game long enough to be somewhat gun-shy that it all turns into a game of blame and point, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the issues that makes that a, a danger in my own district is that we're um, having an enormous shouting match here about when to go back in person and whether to go back in person. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's been rough. It's been really, really rough and um, uncivil. Mm -hmm. So that does not lend itself to warm, comfy conversations because almost invariably when discussions are intended to be had about how do we solve this or that, what we hear is, well, this is why we should just go back. This is why uh -huh. we should go back. This is ridiculous, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's, that is another problem. It's very hard for an individual teacher to address or even an individual administrator. These are decisions being made at the district level. Yeah, yeah. And as every district and every independent school mm -hmm. is working from its own play sheet, right? And we don't have enough time to do that kind of high level collaboration. Yeah. Um, you know, it can be hard to, to find where's the wisdom, some other school in some other state has actually hit on something. Right. But if I don't have a connection to that school in some way, I'm going to miss it, right? And that from, you know, wearing, wearing an admin hat, right? It's like, I want to hear what all of you folks are doing, right? I've subscribed to all of these Facebook leadership education groups in the hopes that something will, will pop in one of those yeah. groups, right? And, Professorial and, Twitter is hopping. Oh they yeah, are, are absolutely. You know, it is right. nothing but swap syllabi and suggestions all over the twitters. Really. Oh yeah, oh yeah, big time, big time. So we're coming close to the to our end time. Uh, Lee, any any last thoughts for parents? Um, I've been working a lot with my daughters about thinking about silver linings. Yeah. Um, and I think there's two sides to that. First of all, it's totally okay to think about silver linings while still honoring and acknowledging the things that they're struggling with and the pain and the things that they're losing. Um, you know, I'm never going to say, look on the bright side as if the dark side should not have any effect on them. It does. Yeah. Um, but, you know, from, and I think that the bright sides are going to be different by kid. Um, for mine, she's been much relieved that while she's getting some social interaction, certain sides of very large public high high school that she felt were just eating her time needlessly are not right you know um she's getting her homework done by dinner every night that has never happened in her high school career or middle school career and it's not because she's a toddler but between activities and the sheer volume of, of homework being sent home um 
you know, and the amount of time in the classroom that wasn't being used on homework because it was too high distraction. Right. Right. Now it's more efficient. And she is feeling the benefits of that efficiency. And that's just sort of one example, which I do imagine is going to really vary kid to kid. Um, but helping them to envision their lives as having some positives and some things that are more under their control. Um, for a teen, at least, that's always a, a siren song, something they're going to want. So, so I think that has been a helpful thread. Yeah. Um, and other than that, solidarity, my fellow parents, hang in there. Um, <laughs> you will get through this. Your kids will be okay. And, and they're safer. You know, they are safer. And that counts for something. Full stop. On that yeah. note, Leah, it was awesome having you on this show. It I was, was so great. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, I'm so glad that you, uh, you, you took me up on my, my Facebook message. And I look <laughs> forward to having you back on because you, by virtue of having your, your role at VCU with regard to undergraduate education, right? Jennifer yes. and I are K-12 people, right? And right. so having the perspective- I get your freshly hatched adults. <laughs> right, right. And, and really being able to hear, I'd, I'd love to do 30 minutes of quote unquote sausage making, mm-hmm. right? With mm. back end stuff. Because I think that some people who listen to this show, parents, uh, you know, younger people, um, uh, teachers who are early stage career, feedback I get is, I would never have thought to think about that. And yet you talked about that for 30 minutes. And it was clear that there was a lot more that you didn't say. And I would never have thought to even think about that. Right. So rather like being a parent um, and you're fully trained to be a parent when your child turns 18 and leaves. Um, in some ways, I feel like you're fully trained to be an educator when you've done it for 30 years. So yeah. this is a remarkable resource and I'm delighted that you're making it available. Yeah. Brilliant. Lee, thanks again. And Jennifer, next week. Yeah, maybe we need to have another parent of an elementary school. That's exactly what I was thinking. That, I love it. I love yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, let's... Um, I'll handle that. Yeah, let's explore that, okay? Okay. All right. All right. Uh, listeners, look forward to having you uh, join us uh, again next week with a new guest. And uh, keep listening. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye, John. Thanks, Lee. You're welcome. Thank you.